said and she said you need to pay attention If they make the comment then it's worth the mention Jamil and Shatora you know they got the scoop At work talking about what black people do If you ain't real then you probably won't feel this It's all facts you know they coming with the realness Or pettiness either way you are getting it Uncut, unfiltered, and unedited Lifting up the culture, you know how it's gotta be Making words work, give it to you tongue-in-cheek Forget that water cooler, we like tea sweet This is boss talk reserved for the B-sweet B-sweet, B-sweet Boss talk is reserved for the B-sweet B-sweet, B-sweet Cool it out or you'll end up on that B-sweet What's up, everybody? It's the B-Suite Podcast. We are back with another episode of the B-Suite Podcast. I am Jamil. He's Jamil. And I'm Shatora. Yeah, I know who I am. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Shatora. How are you, Jay? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super freaking good right now. I mean, yeah. we have a lot of reason to be good right now. You yeah. know, it's been a tumultuous, uh, you know, past few months. Oh, my and God. I mean... I've been breaking out all year, but I tell you what, the breakouts last week were pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, and and for for bad. good reason. <laughs> Jeez, for good me. reason. But you know, over the weekend we had um, some you know relatively good news. You know, I, I would say more than relatively. <laughs> we had we had some all things considered great news. Yes, yes, we did, yeah. and uh, we are super excited that you know we finally have uh, some new leadership. In our country right some, now. Hopefully some adult leadership. Yes. Some leadership that's not divisive. Uh, it, you know, it's just been a really sad four years. For me, especially thinking of um, the, the people who are coming of age, who came of age, mm. like during Donald Trump's years, uh, who maybe think that this is the proper way to act and behave and right. to lead. Um, and it really is just the precipice, the epitome of white privilege the way that he he gets to behave so um you know i'm i'm glad to see well i mean i don't know how much we're going to talk about this but god damn look at what happens when black people oh oh we absolutely have we are going to talk about that (laughs) and all things black women jesus oh my god like black are we going to talk about little pump I, no, I'm not giving that any attention. I'm not giving little pump. What, is, what, did, what did Trump call him? Little pimp? So, little punk. <laughs> little punk or whatever. You know, but no, we're not giving that any attention today. Jesus. But but no, we, um, we're we super excited. I know for me, it's been the last, like you said, four years has been pretty dark, you know. And, yeah. you know, I think this weekend just allowed me to breathe a sigh of relief. Right. I feel like that we aren't being suffocated anymore and not just through the administration, but through all the attention that the media was giving, you know, this administration and all of the, the, the BS that we had to put up with over the last four years. I mean, it's, it's just been it's been suffocating, you know, so I I'm, I'm I feel like that we can we can just breathe a little bit for now. Um, we still have work to do, though. We, we still have still, work to do. The work just started. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I'm realizing how much people allow other people to do their thinking mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. And I think it took somebody uh, as polarizing as Donald Trump to help us as black people recognize our power and how much we need to be engaged. Mm-hmm. 
all the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And so I hope that this was a good lesson and that complacency does not set back in whereby we believe that we're not a part of the process. Look at what happened in Georgia. Jeez mm-hmm. Louise. Yeah. Look absolutely. what happened in Georgia. So, um, I, you know, I, re- I remember being at conferences, you know, four or five years ago, and people would say things like uh, racism is gone. And I, like, and these were black people. And these were black young professionals in their mid-20s. And I was just like, you think racism <laughs> is dead? You are so deluded. Oh, damn fool. Just, yeah. Um, but that just goes to show you how much of our own history uh, has been revised. Uh-huh. And that if you don't take the time to fully understand our history, then you could easily fall into that belief that uh-huh. like, oh, racism doesn't exist because I make 50 grand a year. <laughs> No, that no. it doesn't. It just doesn't work like that, beloved. No. <laughs> it doesn't. Sorry. And and it, it, you know, you're right. And we saw that too, even after you know the election of Barack Obama, and people were feeling oh, like yeah. we live in this post-racial oh um, society. Post, like what the like what the hell is post-racial? It, right. <laughs> we are just. At, you posted a video the other day of how afraid white people are of actually talking about their history. Mm-hmm. And the only way we'll heal this country is through actually identifying how evil racism is. And but white people don't want that. No, they because they want to hold on to their privilege. That's the status quo. That's why. Yeah, absolutely. And how how often do we talk about here on this podcast you heal what you reveal, right? <laughs> we talk a lot. Yeah, about we talk a lot the about healing. that. And you know, that's just something that they don't want to come to grips with. This this country is changing. The tanning of America is 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 a real thing. It's yeah. a very real thing. Thanks, Dame Dash. Yeah. That one, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So no. Steve Stout. Steve Stout. Oh, yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, thank <laughs> I'll you. Edit, I'll edit that out. Yeah, but, you know, we want to make sure, you know, that we are lending our voices and, and, and really, you know, bringing, bringing this stuff to light, you know, because, again, we know that we have work to do. The work doesn't, it doesn't stop now. It starts. It really starts now. And I'm really um, super, super excited that we have uh, a guest on our podcast today who can kind of help us. Uh, talk about some of these things and where we are in the community, where we need to go as a community. And um, I'm super, super excited to have my guy, <laughs> my brother from another mother. Like this dude is like literally like a brother to me, man. Like I, I have so much respect for him. Uh, he is, uh, he's a leader. Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't want to butcher because I can talk about him personally, but I want to give him a formal introduction. Let yes. me read his, read Put his some respect on it. Yeah, because he 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 deserves all the respect because he is uh, he's a real life president out here. You know what I'm saying? So I, we have the pleasure of having my guy, Mr. Ray Shackelford, on on here. Ray B. Shackelford is a native Houstonian and community leader who strives to make a difference in the lives of others. He received his B.A. in Business Administration Finance from Morehouse College okay. and his M.B.A. Uh, from the C.T. Bauer College of Business at uh, University of Houston. Ray has been a member of the National Urban League Young Professionals f- for more than 11 years and now serves as his 10th national president. Wow. Um, in addition to his role as a volunteer leader with the NULYP, um, uh, locally, Ray serves as the youngest member of the Houston Housing Finance Corporation. On the board of the HHFC, they focus on working with local developers to provide gap financing for quality mm-hmm. 
affordable housing and projects that benefits the community and all of its stakeholders. In his professional endeavors, he has worked in education, nonprofit, and the private sector. And in August of 2019, he started his own consulting firm. Big shout out to everybody starting their own consulting firms. Uh, Ozark Street um, focused on DEI and public engagement. So, uh, so Ray wears a lot of hats, and but none is more important than the hat of a father. He is the proud father of a ten-year-old daughter, Jordan. So let's give a huge round of applause to my guy, Mr. Ray Shackelford. What's good, Ray? What's going on, Jamil? That was a amazing introduction. You are hilarious, man. I love you. Appreciate. <laughs> no, man, we're so grateful to have you on the podcast, man. We thought that. Uh, you know, given everything that's been going on with us over the last uh, several months as a community, you know, we need to have some real conversation about where we need to go as a community, right? So we see what's been happening and what has currently transpired with this current election. So we got to have some real conversation around that. So, but before we get into all that, we want to give people an opportunity to know who Ray is. Like, so just kind of tell us a little bit outside of this bio, this amazing bio, by the way, that I just read about you. You know, just kind of tell us a little bit about who you are. Like, what drives you to do the things that you do to stay, you know, active in the community the way you are? I think a lot of it has to do with, one, I have to give credit to my mother because she's the one who started me on my Urban League journey. So going back to high school, she had me get involved with the New Lights, which is a high school program. And then when I came home from Morehouse, I was partying, I was having a good time, and she felt like I needed to do something more positive, so she paid my membership for the Young Professionals, and that started me on my Urban League journey uh, as an adult. But I think the one thing for me that's important to know from a consistent perspective when I look at you know everything I've experienced since Morehouse is community has always been at the core of that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with you know how I was, how I was raised, uh, the people that have had an impact on me, how they've influenced me, how people have sown into me. And even, you know, one of my mentors, he's the CEO of the Urban League here in Houston. You know, he saw something in me back in, what was that, 2011 when I was working for him. Uh, he said I was going to be the president of the local chapter. And, you know, he spoke that into existence and it's just continued to to grow from there. So I'm very passionate about making sure that I'm giving back to those who don't have a voice, uh, the least of us, and making sure that I, you know, I think the saying goes, unto whom much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been very blessed throughout the course of my life, and so I believe that that is my purpose to be a leader in our community, but specifically when you're talking about black people. And so I know that's something that me and you align with uh, all uh, kind of on a consistent basis. So I'm big on helping my community, helping black people. That's super dope, man. And and we need especially more brothers, too. You know, it, we look at this Urban League movement, you know, and a lot of uh, civil rights movement. And they have historically been led by women. Right. Even looking at Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, historically within the civil rights movement. I mean, it's always been, you know, women have been at the helm, you know, um, and really the, the, the ones that's really pushing things, you know. Um, but, you know, to have someone like yourself who is super dedicated the way that you are. Um, about serving your community, uh, I, I think it's just, it says a lot about you. Um, and it also, you know, it, I think it serves as an inspiration as well for other, hopefully it will serve as an inspiration as well for other black people to want to step up and want to serve their communities and in a way that, you know, um, is selfless 
And it's, it's truly about just giving back. I say all the time that I know my purpose in life is, is, is to be a servant. You know, um, mm-hmm. in, in whatever capacity, I know that's, that is my purpose in life is to serve, you know. So, and we want to be able to instill that in, in other individuals. And I think you do an incredible job with that, um, with the Urban League. Can we just talk about something you said for a second, which is it's so important to see more men in leadership roles like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want that to go without a little bit more discussion because I agree mm-hmm. <laughs> as a woman, as a leader, even though I try to fight that sometimes, <laughs> um, you don't, uh, most leaders aren't usually uh, people who choose to lead. They just kind of end up mm-hmm. there. So, you know, can you talk about how, how this leadership role has, has shaped your outlook Um maybe just your approach to life and why do you agree that it's important that more men be in these leadership roles, especially when it comes to the black community? That is an amazing question. And I think for me, one of the things that initially brings to mind is the fact that, you know, for a while I ran from leadership roles because I had done it so much growing up. So when I got to Morehouse, for example, I didn't want to lead anything. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to exist. And, I really didn't start to get a sense of peace until I started to lead again. And once I started to get in that space, I just found, you know, some alignment and some purpose in my life. And it has been a blessing since then. And in terms of, you know, this specific role and how it continues to shape me, it is amazing being able to lead, you know, people like my brother Jamil, uh, we have individuals who serve as elected officials across this country, executives within their organizations. We have some sisters who have been leading the fight against the coronavirus up there in the DMV area. And so on a day-by-day basis, I am literally inspired and continue to be proud to see our volunteer base because everybody, including myself, we're all volunteers. and We dedicate literally tens of of thousands of hours this past uh, program year, we had over 300,000 service hours Mm. uh, aggregate from our, our volunteer base. And so that is phenomenal. You know, the total value we created for the urban league movement was 7.2 million. Wow. And so that's the organization that I'm leading of young people between the age of 21 and 40. And so being able to be a part of a narrative that doesn't get told enough, you know, they, they try to shape, I think young black people in one vein and I'm living a different reality every day. And so it just makes me proud. It makes me a better person because they push me just like I push them. Uh, so just like, you know, Jamil with his kind words and, you know, the things that he learns from me, I likewise learn from him. Um, and even like my sister Habiba, like the grace, like we're big on that on my team, you know, mm-hmm. life is hard, especially, you know, being black in America, um, on top of just life being hard in general. So you need to give people grace, but specific to, you know, men in leadership, I think it's, it's something, especially when you're talking about in the volunteer space, our organization is almost like a 60, 40 split men and women. Um, and a majority of my presidents across the country, I want to say they're women as well. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I have to fact check that. Cause I don't want you to, uh, you know, ding me. Mm-hmm. You know, our president lies left and right. No, I think uh, you're right, bro. I think you're right. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Um, 
And I think part of what we have to do a better job is showing people the value in volunteerism because I think for some of our young brothers, it's, it's lack of exposure, uh, not understanding what value it creates for you from an interpersonal standpoint, but even that it can translate into, you know, things from a monetary standpoint. It's allowed me now to be a consultant in the community and public engagement space because of all the years of experience that I've gained and the things that I've been able to do from a volunteer perspective, building these skills, you know, even from a public speaking standpoint. So I think there is definitely a gap that we need to close when it comes to that, because you don't see enough men in leadership in these nonprofits, in these volunteer organizations. Uh, and like Jamil said, our sisters continue to lead the way in that respect as you do in most spaces. Uh, and so we have to do a better job when it comes to that. Wow, when you the the thing you said about the the gro- the growth those interpersonal skills, um, that's huge. It is. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> that we will get into right now. But I mean, it it does actually make a ton of sense um, when when you say that because there is a level of um, you know oh I that's not how I want to spend my time or not really seeing the value. In, in giving back to your community in that way if it doesn't necessarily produce a financial gain mm-hmm. or some kind of immediate social status upgrade. Um, so fantastic, something that I'm, I'm going to ponder over a little bit more. And, and, and it's so true because I can speak personally to that as well. You know, I know over, you know, I've you know, been, been a member of the, uh, the Urban League family now for almost 10 years um, given most of my 30s, uh, you know, to, to this organization. And I, I had a lot of pushback, you know, being a part of this organization from at home, from people outside. And, you know, people just telling me I need, I just need to, you know, just focus on, you know, getting that coin, you know, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized that me being a part of this organization really helped me to become the the, the, the business person that I am today, the, through the relationships that I was able to make, through the value that I was able to give to other people, which was reciprocated. And because and, and, the thing is, I, I've always been the, the visionary type. I kind of see down, yeah. down the line, big picture, yeah. you know, and a lot, oftentimes people get so consumed about what's re- directly in front of them. Oh, yeah. Right? So, All too often. Yeah. 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 So I know that, you know, just like what Ray said, you know, you know just being a part of an organization like this where you, when you – when you provide the value, they're going to, you know, you'll get that, you'll see it back, you know, and, and that's why we, we really want people to understand and see the value in, in volunteerism and giving back yeah. and giving up your time, your talent, your resources, because you'll get it back. You'll absolutely get it oh, back. Oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. Listen, if I told you, like, the people in my phone book, you know, and, and oh, we know yo, yo, we know that phone book is. <laughs> yo, can I see? Can I see what's in that phone book right now, yo? I but the but seriously though, like the contacts in my phone are worth all of the hours of sleep that I gave up, or mm-hmm. personal time that I've given up, or phone calls I didn't want to take. If your phone comes meeting. up missing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's okay. They're all, what, did, what did Drake say? So if you find a Blackberry with the size scrolls, sell it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it it's worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, more than anything, like leverage those relationships to help the community, which you see me do Absolutely. a lot. Absolutely, So, I mean, getting back to kind of 
current events, right? How do we take the situation that we're in and help people to see the forest for the trees and like get beyond the immediate relief of not another four years of 45? Like how do we help people see that even though we made this progress last week, that's just the beginning. So now we're, we're definitely shifting gears and this conversation, it's going to be ongoing. So we have, like you said, the election is over. We have two Senate seats that are still up in the air. It's very critical in terms of Georgia. And so the urban league will be a part of making sure to get out the vote in our community, uh, registering people to vote between now and December 7th. That is the deadline for the runoff. So if anybody's in the Georgia area, you have between now and December the 7th to get registered to vote. Uh, then you have the early voting period and, of course, election day on January the 5th. So we'll be a part of that, uh, making sure people understand that. And the reason it's important is because right now it's up in the air as to which caucus is going to have the majority in the Senate. Mm-hmm. And I guess to kind of crystallize it, when we look at pieces of legislation or laws and bills, they have to go through the House, then mm-hmm. through the Senate, then the president signs it. And so we have, as the Urban League, multiple pieces of legislation, whether it be the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that we've supported, whether it be the next round of stimulus for our community, whether it be the Crown Act, all of these pieces of legislation have passed through the House and they have been sitting before the Senate and they have not moved on. But you notice that they made sure to do the most expedient confirmation of Mm -hmm. a Supreme Court justice in history Mm -hmm. in 30 days, because that's what they wanted to do. They weren't concerned with the needs of the people. And so we have to pay attention to those seats. But I think there's a, a warning story from, you know, when we got president Obama elected is that we fell asleep at the wheel and he didn't have control of Congress to move things that he wanted to for the community mm-hmm. and the urban league, you know, we don't support political parties or candidates, but we support those who are doing what's best for our community. I think Malcolm X said it best, you know, it's no permanent friends, no permanent uh, enemies, only permanent interests. Mm. And so whoever is supporting what we believe is needed for our community, that's what we're rocking with. And right now the people who have been in control have not been doing what they need to do for our community. So we have to educate people on the process, how these things get moved, and also teaching them about accountability because just like Jamil and I, we're servant leaders. Elected officials are public servants. You know, we pay tax dollars. They report to us. It's not the other way around. They're not celebrities. They're people just like me and you. And so people need to understand that those needs that you have in your community, they're not going to get changed overnight. It is going to take time. Just, I mean, we've had racism in this country for over 400 years since we got it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not going to change overnight. It is going to take time, but we still need to be able to illustrate those small wins so that people know that there is progress being made because it's very hard. And this is something I learned from working in nonprofit for somebody who's struggling to pay bills, keep their lights on, feed their families, you telling them to vote. And the next day they're still going through that struggle. Mm. And so that's where we have to make sure we're connecting and resonating with the the everyday person uh, to move this 
continually towards progress and where we ultimately want to be. Can you talk a little bit about how we've done that as urban leaguers, right? Because you're, you're absolutely right. When we, you know, we try to get people to stay engaged in this, in this process, you know, oftentimes, you know, the pushback that we get is that, you know, they have their own set of issues that they're dealing with right now. The last thing they want to, you know, to kind of get themselves involved with is a political process that they feel that won't benefit them either which way. You know, so how how have we as as urban leaguers, as young professionals, um, can you just kind of talk about some of those things and those strategies and how we are, are keeping people actively engaged in the process? Yes. Yeah, so first, I got to acknowledge our sister, Chanel Brown. Yeah, big shout out to Chanel. Is my national advocacy chair, a black woman who leads my advocacy team, civic engagement, that national committee and those chairs all over the country. They have done a phenomenal job when it came to the census, when it came to our get out the vote efforts, and they already have a plan in place to execute for post-election education. And so what you will see is a series of activations, whether it be Zooms, town halls, IG lives, all these different things, because we are being forced to leverage technology in a different way to educate the community, but also where we're able to, similar to some of our canvassing efforts, we will still be going out to give people literature, on how this process is moving and making sure they continue to stay engaged. And so we're going to have to continue to be creative. We've been doing, you know, a lot of good work uh, being innovative. And so we have to continue to think outside the box. And even, you know, Jamil, you know, I went, was it like a week or so ago, a little over a week, um, out with Common in one of the neighborhoods here and we knocked on doors and we've been telling people to vote for months and, you know, Common shows up and now, now they're going to go vote. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's frustrating, but at the end of the day, if that's what it takes to get you there, that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. And so leveraging uh, influencers and those types of relationships where we can, again, talking about, you know, some of the benefits of volunteering, that's that's how I got access to Common and was able to work with him to execute that because he was directed to me by the people that manage him because I've been doing work in the community. They were like, you need to talk to Rick. Mm -hmm. And so that's just an example to kind of build on what we were talking about previously. But the education, we will be leading that effort, partnering with organizations like the NAACP, fraternities, sororities, the faith-based community, uh, because it really is going to take all of us to come together as a community, uh, primarily when you're talking about the black community, because that's the majority of who we serve within the urban league. Say that again. <laughs> it's going to take us to come together as an entire community. Um, one of the sayings that always has resonated with me is that all politics is local. Mm. And big facts. Big facts. But all advocacy is local too. Mm -hmm. And so as as we're uh, mobilizing for change, it's so important for the community to come together. And by the community I mean the black community mm -hmm. to come together I complain about this all the time and I will call people the difference is I will call you and say why are you working on this project that five other organizations are also working on at the same time and you're not talking to them and as you know the one thing that we as a community want to to get through to everyone else is that we're all in this together you may not divide and conquer. You may not co-opt the movement. 
you may not use us for our social capital right now, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people all of a sudden, especially women, want to talk about how they're all of a sudden black or something else, which is getting really weird. (laughs) But, um, you know, how how do we you're you're doing this on such a grand scale in my mind as you're talking i'm kind of thinking of all the different layers and relationships and levels there are to what you do on your scale cuz i know how they exist on mine and my mind exploded so how do you how do you leverage that while at the same time making sure that your message is still getting to your target audience and resonating well and first i think because you made me think about it. I'm actually currently, there's a commissioner's court coming up this week where they're weighing. For Harris County? For Harris County. They're weighing the proposal to do a MWBE program because there was a report that came out earlier this year that out of $2 billion worth of contracts, only 0.5%, so that's 0.5, went to the black community. Wow. And even if you add in, the Asian community, the Native American community, the Latin community, and women, it only comes to 9.1% out of $2 billion. And they are trying to stop this. And when I say they, it's primarily white males that are trying to, because they're the ones who are benefiting. They're getting all the contracts. They're getting all the money. And so why would they want it to change? Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of something that I think most of us, because we got a lot of people who are business owners in our communities, they would be interested in because that's money that you should be able to get a piece of. And so what this, if passed, will ultimately allow us to do is earmark a goal of 30% mm. to go to that community, mm-hmm. which is a, a huge shift. You're talking about an increase of basically 21% from mm. where it has been uh, most recently. And so for us, it's important to leverage uh, messaging from a national standpoint that is powerful and resonates across the board. But also when you're talking about at the local level, you know, even Houston versus Buffalo, they have the autonomy to kind of shape that based on the needs of the community they serve. Cause Buffalo is not like Houston. Mm-hmm. Houston is not like LA mm-hmm. or like Char- Charleston or Charlotte, North Carolina, all these different cities where we have a presence, they're all different. And so that's kind of the, the strategic element, at least from a messaging standpoint. You have that big campaign that we push out, but also the ability to customize it for the, the community that you're and even taking it a step further, whether it's, you know, young black men, whether it's millennials versus Generation Z, because all of those different ways that you're trying to reach them, it's going to resonate or you have to relate it a little bit differently to connect those dots. And even... We've had conversations about our brothers and sisters who may not have a college education. Like, how are we communicating those things and reaching out to them to make sure that they feel included as well? Mm-hmm. That's good, man. So I want to just shift gears just for a bit um, and slightly shift gears because um, we're talking a lot about, you know, um, you know how, do, how do we stay engaged, right? And, you know, obviously we have um, a new administration that's going to be, you know, coming into power in, in a couple of months. And there's been a lot of talk recently, um, especially as it pertains to the black community, about us not really, you know, us really getting something in return for our vote. Right. And we saw this. If it wasn't for black people, 
this new administration would would not it would not have happened at all. You know, so so I think it's a fair question in asking, you know, okay, we we've done something for you now. What are you going to do for us? And we've had uh, a lot of conversation recently. You know, you see folks like Ice Cube with this contract for Black America. You know, you have a it's a lot of stuff that's happening right now. Um, you know, um, West Bellamy and, and Puff, they talking about the Our the Black Party, um, um, the new political party. Um, how can we start to engage this new administration in really advocating for the issues that that that's really going to resonate with our community, you know, because it, it has to come to a point where we have to put black first, you know, and all, I mean, there are a lot of other issues that's happening, but you know, we need to, we really need to have an agenda, a real black agenda. So how do we start to engage in conversations to make sure that those, those questions and, and, and our needs are being addressed? You know, it gets to the core of what we do as an urban league, in addition to, you know, the services that our affiliates provide to the community is advocacy. And so even on the night for the Saturday night, when we finally got the, the confirmation, you know, I tweeted president elect Joe Biden and vice president elect Kamala Harris. I'm looking forward to working with them for our community, the black community and the country as a whole and the national urban league, they retweeted it. So we're going to work. We've already started to reach out to them. We already have existing relationships with both of them because they, they have both served as elected officials. Uh, and so, as you know, we do our annual legislative policy conference where we're up in D.C. We're talking to electeds about the needs of our community. So we're not new to this. We've been doing this for a long time. And we have plans that have already been rolled out. The Main Street Marshall Plan, that's been in existence for at least a decade. And, you know, many of the things that have been included and other plans that I've seen, and even President-elect Biden's plan when he was running for office, they're in there. So when you're talking about infrastructure bills for our communities and for the country and making sure, even similar to the MWB, MWBE piece I just referenced, that, again, a certain amount is earmarked for our community. You're talking about broadband access. When you talk about the George Floyd Justice Policing Act and the unarmed killing of black men, and women and trans men, excuse me, trans women, that, that all of those things are encompassed in a lot of those pieces of legislation. And so, Jamil, you 100%, man. We, we are old because from the beginning, my frat brother, uh, James Clyburn, when he endorsed him to mm-hmm. when he got to the finish line mm-hmm. through the urban centers where you're talking about Philly, down there in Georgia, you know, black people carried him, black women, leading the way with more than, was it 91%? Mm-hmm. Uh, black men were right at around 80%. 80% yeah. And so... And I'm still... We definitely, we can't be shy about it either because now is the time to say, okay, we showed up, we showed out. These are the things we expressed to you that we need for our community, so how are we moving those things forward? Right. And I think the important thing is for us to understand once we get these Senate seats locked in, what obstacles or hurdles there are, what things can President-elect Biden do via executive order, and what things will he have to work with Congress to get done. But then also understanding that we've seen it in the past, and this happened here in Texas, where at the time President Obama may have instituted something, but our governor rejected it. Mm. And so understanding kind of those layers of government 
And we have to show up again in, what, 2022? There's going to be a lot of gubernatorial races that are going to be out there, uh, some more Senate seats, House races. Like, this doesn't stop. And so I think that's the the biggest piece is literally every election. You know, hashtag every election. Like, we have to stay engaged, be at City Hall, be at, you know, the Civic Club meetings. We have to make sure that we're doing this consistently, just like, you know, you go to the gym. Um Whatever it is that you do on it, because if you read every day, whatever that looks like for you, this is the same thing. And it's not necessarily about you being political, because I know a lot of people like to say politics is not my thing. That's fine. But whether you engage or not, it's impacting. You know, your trash, if there's a fee associated with it, your water pressure, you know, your energy companies, pharmaceuticals. If you have family members who have medication, like all of that stuff is tied to this. So. All the way from your alderman or common council member or whatever you call them, all the way up to the president and everything in between, it all impacts us. And being apolitical, that's fine. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there who say that they're apolitical um, and and some people for various reasons, good reasons or or whatever in their mind. Mm -hmm. But to your point, this all impacts us. This all affects us. It never stops and and so just because I, I, I'm I'm starting to hear a similar rhetoric and it scares me about Kamala Harris that we heard about Obama oh you know I was listening to the daily this morning and one of the black women I think she was in Atlanta and she was like oh well she's just gonna open the doors for us she's just gonna open the doors for us and that's not how it's gonna work mm-hmm. first of all there's like 17 different keys to each door that are held by 30 different people. And, you know, it's it's still going to be complicated. Her job, there's a term called political capital. And so she will only be able to do her best job if we are all doing and engaging civically mm-hmm. on our local level, on our um, congressional representation level, like uh, only if we're doing that will we provide her the cover she needs to be the black vice president, the first black Asian female HBCU <laughs> grad, <laughs> AKA vice president. Mm-hmm. But if we don't provide her that political cover, she doesn't, she doesn't get to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because what's the formula? It's 50% plus one. Right. And so we have the obligation not to leave her with her ass out figuratively. (laughs) No, and you that's an excellent point. And I think it's important to note also that if we get those two Senate seats, Kamala will then basically be the tiebreaker when you're talking about votes that come to the Senate. So she will have a lot of power potentially, depending on what is the, the final outcome of those Senate seats. Um, but she can't do it by herself. Like you said, we have to support her. We have to protect her. She has earned that opportunity. And so we have to make sure that we give her all the space and the tools she needs to be successful. Cause you know, we didn't do that, uh, for president Obama. So that's why he wasn't able to move things as far as I think he would have liked for our communities. So, um, Ray, we have a couple of minutes left before we wrap up, but before we do, um, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about this year, um, going into um, our new calendar year, 
um, with NULYP is this this theme that you develop is is called the New Black Power. So let's let's talk about that for a second. Where did that come from? And like, what's what's the whole idea around the New Black Power? Well, I think I can't remember if you were the one that pointed it out, but we were in New York and we were walking around the National Urban League headquarters and. Like I said, I think it was you that spotted the yeah, picture. Yep, yep. But there, there was a picture on the wall of these black men and women in suits, and it was very powerful, and it said the new black power, and that just stuck with me. And, you know, as we kind of went through the year, because right after that, COVID hit, the world shut down, everything went crazy. Um, and then, of course, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, the protests, everything. And so as I was coming into this new year, the program year, I was thinking, you know, what is kind of that rallying cry that we need in our communities that will give us, you know, something to unite around as we continue to push forward uh, through 2021. And I was reminded of what black power meant for us when it started back in, you know, the 60s and the 70s and, you know, what that rallying cry was. And I felt like this is what we needed. And essentially what it is, it's a call for us to support one another and come back together and be united. But you know how they have those, uh, buy black initiatives and we all go out <laughs> and we focus on, you know, buying black. Yeah. But why, why isn't that the default? Like, why do you have to have a program or an initiative? Because you have to unlearn and learn these things. Yes. So, <laughs> I'm just integration. White ice is colder. We got to uncondition ourselves from that. Yeah. Right. And so we, I have been able to recondition or uncondition and relearn things to where that is like the default for me, but that's, that's how it should be across the board. Like you should always, cause even Jamil, remember when you were, we were talking about coming to Houston, mm-hmm. I was taking you to all the black owned vegan spots. Cause they all over here in my neighborhood. And, you know, we're going to get you over here at some point. I'll be down but, there probably in December, bro. Hmm. All right. You mean me? Okay. We, we're going to do a live podcast in Houston. We're going to do a live podcast down in Houston. I got family down there. I got a reason. Let's, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> and so we have to, as a movement, give our people access to that information so that they can be empowered. You know, that's, we're all, that's what we're all about with the Urban League is empowering people. And so giving them that so that they can support one another, come together, and we really move these things for, further uh, because we're, we're hurting in our communities in so many different ways. And I, I know we have a lot of the answers within our community, but we have to have something that really brings us together, and we have to stay the course. We have to be consistent because it's not, again, it's not going to change overnight, uh, but we will get there, but we have to stay, stay the course. That's dope, bro. That's that's super dope, man. Uh, I I couldn't have said it any better. You know, I, I I love that whole idea around, you know, us just coming together. You know, establishing like, you know, this 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 new sense and this new look of what being black is all about, and you know, really leveraging our influence. You know, um, especially working with these politicians and such so we can get something back in return so we can really start to see some some real sustainable change uh, in in our neighborhoods and such. And and having, you know, the focus on, on black things become just a norm, you know, can can I 
I just have one. I just, I kind of want to challenge a one point that oh, you said. Please, by all means. And it is that, like, we're looking to the government for, or elected officials to to give us back what we're due. And I didn't really mean it I, like no, that. No, I know, I know you didn't. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. But I know that this is a, this is a thing that a lot of us are waiting for. Mm. And I hope, I don't know, but I hope that the new black power is about taking our power back. Yes. And not through some militant way, but economically speaking, um, intellectually speaking, education, wealth building, through through those means. Because I just don't I just don't know if if in my lifetime there's going to be enough political capital mm -hmm. to get all black people back to, you know, where we should have been mm -hmm. if slavery never existed. Mm -hmm. Right. Is, no. Are there ever going to be any um, like reconstruction didn't do anything reparations? Well, how do you even calculate mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. for today's economy? They will bail out a car company before they will take care of, the people mm -hmm. who, you know, and so I just, I, I understood what you meant, but I, I only wanted to make a point of it because we so often hear like I, in my work, I just, I hear people all the time, like waiting for Superman. I say this mm -hmm. all the time. He's not coming. You are right. Superman. Right. Absolutely. I am Superwoman. We can do this, but we all have to believe it and and move from there. And it means we all have to take action. If you're waiting, well, you're going to be sitting in the same seat mm -hmm. next year and a year after. It's all, it's all about self-reliance. It's all about self-reliance. Cause actually coming up, our other sister who's based there in Buffalo, my national programs chair, uh, Kendra Brim. That's why for our national day of empowerment, it is focused on generational wealth. And that is the charge. You know, how are we educating our community to build economically, and build wealth because like you said, and I'm a firm believer in this. Yes, we need to vote. Yes. We need to engage our elected officials, but there is no savior coming. You know, Jesus who was a black man, uh, died and he came back and he rose to heaven. And so that's, that's, that's the only savior yeah, that's I, I recognize is black Jesus. <laughs> and so we have to, <laughs> we have to take it in our own hands. We have to vote. But we also have to start businesses. Mm -hmm. We have to vote, but we also have to educate our kids outside of what this country's education system offers because it's shown us time and time again that it's not adequate. And so we have to take those additional steps to support one another, to love on one another, uh, and make sure that we get what we need because, like you said, Superman isn't coming. Heal generational trauma. Heal your generational trauma. <laughs> That's it. Stay tuned. We got something on that too. Oh, you're giving us a sneak peek, just, brother. Wow. <laughs> but Ray, man, thank you so much, brother. Um, it is it is always a pleasure being able to sit with you and talk to you and just to when you speak, man. Like you know, you you have so much wisdom. Um, obviously, you have so much passion as well for for your community, for your people. 
And, you know, I, it, it's been a pleasure of mine just to serve under your leadership over the past um, few years. And, you know, as your colleague and as your brother, man, I, I, I admire you. I appreciate you. And I'm going to continue to do all that I can to support you in your in, in all of your endeavors, but particularly with the, you know, with the Urban League Young Professionals, National Urban League Young Professionals. So we thank you, brother. We I, thank you so much. I asked this question last week and I want to start doing it every time. Is this OK? OK, cool. OK. Uh, last question. What does being black mean to you, Ray? Man, being black to me is being powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't choose to be associated with anything other than being black. You know, as much as struggle as we've seen in this country, as much pain as we endure, even to this day, we are unstoppable. Like, there's literally nothing um, that can stop us. And so being black is power, man. That's That's what that means to me. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's an amazing way to end it, brother. Amazing way to end it. So, Ray, if people wanted to connect with you online um, through the work that you're doing, you know, how how can people connect with you, brother? I am on all the social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Ray Shackleford. You can find me. I'm pretty good about responding to messages. I will get to you within, you know, about 48 hours he's or so. He's busy, y'all. So oh, he's a big deal. <laughs> he's busy. He's media. a big damn deal. So, so don't don't like, I don't expect to get a response right away. <laughs> but I, I will get back to you. And of course, you know, follow the Urban League, National Urban League Young Professionals, NULYP, on all social media and our website. And we look forward to working with you, bringing you into the family and moving our communities together. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate you for uh, checking in with us for for our podcast, and uh, we'd love to have you back on, and I cannot wait to get to Houston. I'll, listen, I'm not a vegan anymore. I'm not a vegan anymore. I eat chicken. Oh. I, 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 eat, I eat my chicken, brother. You know what I'm saying? So you could take me to the chicken spots in Houston when I come well, down there. I got there. that right up the street, too. Black on the wood. You're going to get the we meat sweats down yeah, in Houston. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no nah, man, but I look. I'm looking forward to coming down. I've never been to Houston, so I definitely want to get down there. It's hot. Yeah, I know. It's I, too I, hot. I would take it. I would take it's, it over what we're about to. Why get. is it so it's hot? hot. Uh, mm. I went jogging in July once in Houston. That was the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> was that was it was like three thousand percent humidity too. Mm, mm, so, mm. Yeah. I know that hair probably. Oh yeah, it's just out there. Yeah, yeah it's just out there. <laughs> But nah, brother, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you. And like I said, anytime, you know, we, you're always welcome back on to the B-Suite podcast. So thanks so much for checking in with us, bro. Absolutely. All right. So, and, and again, guys, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the B-Suite podcast. You can follow us on all of the major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Stitcher. We are all over the place. Um, you can follow us online on our website at thebsweetpodcast.com, on Instagram. Yo, Shatora is doing a damn thing on Instagram. Oh, I'm so hilarious yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, so we're on Instagram at B-Sweet Podcast, and also follow us on Facebook and like us on Facebook as well um, at the B-Sweet Podcast. So, uh, Shatora, this has been a great episode. Always, Jay. Yeah, it's always been real. So appreciate y'all. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.